0: During the challenge, each day, you'll receive two free meditations, one for the morning and one for the evening. These guided meditations will help you unlock a happier and healthier you, plus, you'll get exclusive access to two live webinars with me where I'll answer your meditation questions. And best of all, you'll be joining a like-minded, supportive community making the commitment to change their lives by building a meditation practice that brings meaningful results. Whether you're brand new to meditation or a seasoned meditator, I really hope you'll join us starting on January 28th. Go to hayhousecom five days to join now and download a free PDF where I share five ways to boost your meditation practice. That's hayhouse.com forward slash the number five, D-A-Y-S.
1: Welcome to the Dr. Wayne Dyer Radio Podcast. Discover the wisdom and remarkable insights of Dr. Dyer, world-renowned spiritual teacher and foremost authority on how the power of your mind creates your world. This is a man who is a congressman in the U.S. Congress from a a district in Ohio who was elected in 2002 and has been re-elected with very high pluralities uh, uh, ever ever since, uh, for now 12 years in Congress. And he's one of the few people in Congress who is willing to, to really take a very firm stand about, uh, you know, what kinds of people we are becoming, what kind of a country we have, what are we doing to our food supply, and so on. And now he's written, and I've been on stage with him many times. I have great, great respect for him. I, I on- honestly feel that one day he's going to run for president. Uh, I hope I'm still around to see that. Um, and um, he, uh, he's written a brand-new book. And he's just taken on this food issue because it's, uh, the government is very, very, very much involved in it. Um, and rather than me talking about it and wasting his time, taking up his time, I'd like to bring him on and, and have him tell us, uh, you know, what motivated him to write this, what kind of a, um, you know, what what is the crisis uh, that's taking place? I mean, he talks about his own crisis. He's, he's, he was a guy who just really liked to eat chicken wings and uh, and sodas and all of that kind of thing, and he's turned it all around. Um, so I'm, re- I'm deeply impressed. I think this is... This may be the most important issue facing our country uh, in the next uh, in the next couple of uh, generations, and if we don't do something about it, and we just keep focusing on the bottom line, and just making money, and letting and and letting these you know these huge food conglomerates uh, decide what's going to be into uh, going into our food, and how much has changed in the last 30 years. So here's the man. His name's Tim Ryan, and um, he's a congressman in the U.S. Congress, and a man that I respect and love very much. Hi, Tim.
2: Hey, Wayne, thank you for that great introduction, and I can't be on a show with you without letting everybody know that way back when I was just a young young man, I started reading a lot of your books, and uh, well, I think that, that helped me kind of open up my mind and my heart to a lot of the things that I ended up doing and really having the courage to be a congressman and mm-hmm. write a book about meditation first and foremost, and then a, yes. a, a book about food, but when you're coming from, you know, hopefully a place of honesty with yourself and the society, you know, we understand that we've got to have these conversations. And I think you really summed it up that, you know, this is, it's about food, but it's also about our health and our vitality, which is directly re- reflected in our economy. And one of the reasons I got into this and really started to see how this was all connected to healthcare care and our economy and, and all of these other things I was looking at the long-term budgets for the Medicaid program, for example, that, that we spend billions and billions of dollars on as Americans. A lot of people pay a lot of taxes to help this program go. And, you know, if we have half the country that has diabetes or pre-diabetes in the next few years, you know, programs like that, a Medicare program, even private insurance are going to collapse on their own weight. You know, mm. if you look at someone who has heart disease and diabetes or depression and diabetes or basically anything in diabetes, then you're going to skyrocket the health care costs. You stay in the hospital an extra day and a half to two days. Your, your costs of care go up through the roof um, for, for very similar things. So if we don't recognize that a lot of this stuff, like Mark Hyman says in the foreword of the book, I can't cure diabetes in my doctor's office you know and that means we have to go about other ways of doing it and to me that's retooling the food system and the ag policies here in the u.s
1: absolutely it's a fascinating statistic because one of the films that you mentioned in your book was a, a movie called fed up so i of course ordered, i ordered it and i watched it last night in preparation for talking with you today and one of the things that you say in the book and it said in there is that this is the first time in the history of the united states that the generation that, of people that are being born today are going to have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. It's never happened before. That's a that's a really, sociologically, that's a huge shift, isn't it? A, a, away yeah. from uh, where we ought to be going, what we ought to be thinking about. I always think of the Native Americans. They uh, they, they had such a reverence for the land and, and the food and so on. And one of the things, that one of the Ojib, Ojibwe prayers was, when we walk upon the earth, we always place our feet very carefully on the ground because we know that the faces of our future generations are looking up at us from beneath the ground and we never forget them and it seems to me that we have forgotten them in the name of uh, of just big big agribusiness and and money it's like it seems to me that the food industry what i got from watching the film and reading your book is that the food industry is not so much concerned with the health of the american people as they are with the profits that are coming from what we are putting into our foods and one of the first things i think we need to really talk about in the time that we have here is is this whole idea of of obesity? I mean, I watched those uh, some of those really really heavy kids, and we've been told over and over and over again, if you want, if you want, if we have an obesity crisis, all we have to do is tell people eat less and exercise more, and it will stop. But it turns out that isn't the truth anymore, is it, Tim? No,
2: no, it's not. And, and, you know, you, you should exercise, and that's important. And I know you do, and I do, and we try to, you know, take care of ourselves, and you got to get the blood pumping and all the rest. But for a lot of us, this food that we're eating, you know, not all calories are equal. And mm-hmm. the calories that you get from fruits and vegetables and lean meats, for example, are much, much different than at the same amount of calories that you would get from processed food. And a lot of mm-hmm. times, this stuff's not just processed once, it's once, twice, three, four times to turn into that, you know, quadruple stuffed Oreo cookie that we get. We never mm-hmm. had that. I'm 41 years old. We had Oreo cookies, you know, when I was right. growing up. And now it's quadruple stuffed strawberry, but it's about what you're eating, and it's about um, your diet. Even in our schools, which I talk a lot about in the book, I think, you know, we've got to figure out how we can get good, wholesome food into our schools, and it's a place of learning, it's a place of education, so part of the process is to to teach kids how to eat, I think, and we have a talk about a Home Ec 2.0 initiative here in the United States where we teach kids how to plant, grow, prepare uh, their own food and how we can have a garden in every schoolyard and Mm. a kitchen in every schoolhouse and a salad bar in every school cafeteria Mm. so that we are educating our kids how to be in the world, how to cook good food. Because exercise is great, but if you're eating terrible food, highly processed food, year in and year out, you're going to end up with diabetes, you're going to end up obese, you're Mm. you're not going to be able to thrive. You know, and, and, right. I, and here's the thing. And, I, you know, as I said, I read a lot of your books, and you've inspired me, and I, I have an attitude that every single human being should have the opportunity to do extraordinary things in their life. And we are cheating these kids from an opportunity to be an innovator, to be an entrepreneur, to help us grow the economy, to create jobs, to be a creator uh, in this society today if we're filling them up with junk. And then this happens in the schools all the time. These kids will eat junk for breakfast. They'll have a fruit roll up for lunch and bag of Doritos and a pop, and then as a society, we ask them to sit down and learn algebra, and then we just can't figure out why they can't learn algebra and why our rankings in the U.S. and math and science scores internationally are stagnant and going down, mm. because we're, we're not giving our kids the opportunity that we need to be giving them to live their dreams, to, you know, to be extraordinary, mm. to do extraordinary things, and it gets back to some of the basic things. And and here, just one last point, you know, we think because some of these problems seem so complicated and so complex that we have to go out and we have to find a solution that is more complicated and more complex in order to fix the complicated and complex problem that we have, when the reality of it is we need to start simplifying things. We need to get back to the fundamentals. And I can't think of anything more fundamental than what we're putting into our body and how we need to retool the system so that we have affordable fruits and vegetables that goes into Mm. our schools and we can uh, help our farmers adjust to this new system as well.
1: Well, it's interesting because when I went went to school uh, in the public schools in Michigan, um, when they had a cafeteria, the food was prepared by the staff there. And, uh, you know, it was now it turns out, I didn't even realize this, that almost all of the food that is supplied for children in our schools is supplied by uh, fast food companies uh... one week it's uh... you know one day of the week it's mcdonald's another day it's uh... you know it's uh... taco bell or whatever it might be and they're bringing in the pizzas and they're bringing in the french fries and they're bringing in the greasy uh, cheeseburgers and and the gluten and so on and and offering them something to drink and the thing that they offer them to drink is probably the thing that's the biggest cause of obesity and 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 difficulties in 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 people is is soda soda pop i mean it's like it's just been it's like it's a, a nat. it's a national kind of crisis almost that that uh you know how many grams of, sh- of sugar are in a uh, in, in a uh, in one can of co- one 12 ounce can of coca-cola what 12 teaspoons or something of sugar in a uh in, in one can of soda and the kids are consuming them on a, a huge basis so you know it's like our schools have been taken over by profit-minded uh, fast food companies, and and that's what we're giving our kids when you know all day long. A lot of people out there say, "Well, I don't send my kids to those places. I don't want them eating all of that kind of uh, food." And uh, and then they go into the schools, and that's exactly what they're getting with with the sodas. And the and the huge companies are aligned with the uh, the big agribusiness. I mean, Coca-Cola is uh, is involved with uh, you know. Uh, uh, Funding uh, programs to help uh, overcome obesity, and and putting in there that uh, drinking soda is something that's good for them.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, there's no doubt about it, and it it gets mm. to this general idea that we've had in America now for a couple of decades to where. You know, we, we aren't funding and and properly funding our schools, and mm-hmm. and so the school districts get very desperate for right. money to plug the holes in their budget, and so here comes you know some of these big businesses that say, "Hey, we'll put a scoreboard on the football field. You let us put your put our prop right. in in mm-hmm. the thing, or we'll we'll fill a gap here or fill a gap there." Yeah. And so you, the, the poor local school district people are stuck because they can't pass a levy because the economy's not doing well and they can't. So all of this is, is a cyclical process. But, you know, you think about what would what our priorities are. And here here's really the argument that I make in A Real Food Revolution and that I think it's important that we start to talk about. People say, well, we can't afford to do that. You know, we can't afford to make sure that uh, people have access to fruits and vegetables. That's going to be too costly. What's the cost of having half the country have diabetes and prediabetes? Mm. What's the right. cost of that? Do we think, like, this is why, you know, the mindfulness piece and the meditation piece, like, can we please take a step back, take a deep breath, and watch this system continue to spin? Let's anticipate what's going to happen, like you said, in mm. 2050. What kind of kid... Right is going to be around in 2050. What are they going to look like? What, what's their health level going to be like? What's their quality of life going to be like? And then again, what's the cost of our taxes to pay for a Medicare, a Medicaid, and a private insurance system? Businesses aren't going to have any money to invest into technology, capital equipment, mm-hmm. reinvesting back into their business because they're going to be strapped with the health care costs. What business wants to hire a, a, you know, a workforce full of people who have diabetes? you know, and, and, and the productivity and not
1: just, problems. Yeah, and the obesity. I mean, it's like when we talk about now, they said one out of, this is what I was in Fed Up, one out of three Americans today is 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 listed as chronically obese, and they said by the year 2050, 95% of Americans are going to be overweight. That I mean, that means like virtually everybody because of, and I don't know how much time you have, Tim. Just let me know when you have to go. I know you have to catch a flight but when when we uh when when we look back at um, back in the 70s and 80s there's something happened to the food industry there was something the word fat became like a really very very bad word you remember um yep. the, and they the, so what we started doing is producing food that had no fat in it you know fat free this fat free that that was everything if you don't eat fat you won't get fat and all of that that was the whole theme now what they've discovered is that when we took the fat out of a food it doesn't taste very good you know it's a uh, it tastes like cardboard a lot of ways so what did they do what the food industry had to do in order to make the food more palatable was to add things to it and they invented something called high fructose corn syrup which is one of the huge ingredients in something like seventy or eighty percent of the processed food in america Has uh, 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 sugars added to it by all different kinds of names unpronounceable names but they're all sugars and, uh, and so now what we've done is, in over, over a period of time, in a generation, in just one generation, what we have done is we have just infiltrated the entire food supply with this stuff that is causing people, no matter how much you exercise, no matter how, uh, you know, how Careful you are about how much food that you eat, you're continuously getting these addictive kind of substances poured into your body. And that's something, you know, we're going to have to really, really look at. And my question to you as a member of Congress is, is the government in any way culpable, uh, for this, um, on, on the basis of, like, who's regulating the food industry anymore? Is it the food industry doing self-regulation? Uh, we, we don't have to go very far to realize that self-regulation doesn't work very well. Uh, whether it's the banking industry, the food industry, the drug industry, or so on, so you know what can and, and you know a big con, con, uh, concern of mine is the number of lobbyists for the food industry who are just you know continuously pressuring members of Congress to al- allow you know them to regulate their their own uh, you know their own industry.
2: Yeah, well, we have uh, you know a lot of rural congressional districts, and this is sometimes seen as well, if you're for this, you're against the farmer. And, Mm. you know, I hope it comes through in my book that we've got to help farmers convert over to this new system that we want. So they're getting paid right now to grow the wheat and the corn and the soy that, you know, most of the corn, for example, doesn't even end up on corn on the cob, you know, for Mm. summertime treat for Americans. It mostly ends up going to, you know, going to cattle and going to To animals, right? To animals that you know that are that we're going to eat later on, and that's you know very expensive process. But neither here nor there, we need to create a system where these farmers can convert over. So I think we need to do a couple of things. First thing we need to do is reduce the risk for them, and and we reduce because they have you know think about a farmer, they have a mortgage, they have kids in college, they have just you know invested millions of dollars into capital equipment. And, you know, Tim Ryan and Wayne Dyer are going to knock on their door saying, hey, you should grow peaches instead of corn. This isn't going to work. Or they're going to say, who's mm-hmm. going to pay my bills for me? They're a business. Mm-hmm. So we need to create a market for them. And I think there's opportunities to do this. For example, in Ohio. So we have all farmers all over the state. In Columbus, Ohio, we have the Ohio State University, 60,000 students. Now, I know people from Michigan don't always like Ohio State, but we can get over that together.
1: Uh, well, yeah, we'll have to get over that. You and I can talk about that another time. <laughs> See, With can, an, maybe an arm wrestling time.
2: to start, right? <laughs> exactly. But so 60,000 students at Ohio State, if that university, for example, would say, okay, this year we're going to buy 2% of our food costs are going to go to local farmers for specialty crops like fruits and vegetables, And then the next year it's going to be four, and then the next year it's going to be six, and next year it's going to be eight, and next year it's going to be ten. The farmer in central Ohio that's, you know, a three iron away from the Ohio State University is going to say, all right, now I have a market here that I know if I switch over and the government should help them convert over if they need to buy new equipment and help them wean off without losing a profit into this new system, then they have a market there at Ohio State. And they can say, well, I'm going to sell these new products to Ohio State, and Ohio State's not going to go anywhere. You know, they're going to be there, and they're going to be able to buy. And so you have dramatically reduced the risk of a farmer by creating this new market. And then again, it's not just Ohio State. It's every school in central Ohio, every public elementary, secondary, and high school. Now you can create markets. And as I said, you have a school program. We start teaching these kids how to plant, grow, and, and you know, produce and cook their own food. So you, you really start to shift the culture. But you, we've got to have farmers on our side. It's not right. anti-farmer because they're, they're part of the solution. You know, we need to create a market for them, but they also need to produce. And how can we have governmental policies that can help convert them over? I've talked to a lot of farmers and say, I'll grow whatever you want, but help me. Don't let me get stuck. Make sure right. I have somebody to sell it to, and if we do all that, Wayne, that's how we begin to shift the system. So public policies have to shift in that direction. And mm. you know, the main reason I wrote the book, and I just was so excited when I heard you were excited about this, is oh, we've got to create a national um, movement of voters—Republicans, Democrats, Independents, people who haven't voted—that need to be a part of the process. Because if we don't have a groundswell outside of Washington DC we're not going to be able to get it done. We need people that are active and involved in campaigning. I talk about Vanny Hari in the in the book who's also known as the food right. babe starting mm-hmm. I talk uh, yeah
1: I, mm. I like her yeah, a lot. she's
2: fantastic, yeah. you know, and mm. so starting petitions, being active, being involved. Not everybody can run for Congress, but we need an active, vibrant democracy and we need it in a bipartisan way if we're going to shift this stuff. This isn't a Democrat or Republican issue. I think, no, you know, if it's you're looking not. at long-term long-term fiscal health, you know, and these are all boxes that I don't even like to jump in because I don't think they're necessarily true, but a lot of conservatives would say hey I'm worried about long-term deficits. I'm worried about governmental intervention and all this stuff well your fiscal outlook is pretty poor if we keep going down the road we're going with absolutely that's happening so if you're a conservative you should be very interested in how we can retool the food system and if you're a Democrat and you're concerned about affordability and how you know you shouldn't have to be a millionaire that that can go to Whole Foods and buy all the good food you want and how that should that access should be in in food deserts in our urban core, those are traditionally democratic issues. So this, I think, transcends the traditional political lines that we've, you know, artificially well, drawn for ourselves.
1: What I've said over the years, Tim, if you've listened to me, uh, and uh, I was doing this actually before you were born, out there giving talks like this, and <laughs> one of the things that I've always said, uh, in over forty years of being in the public eye, is that you know the uh, you know the only the only way that we can change uh you know change the world the only solution for changing the world will be a change in consciousness we'll never transform the world by having people you know even people like yourself who are uh, who who come out of this new consciousness this is where the leaders are going to come from And it's like, it isn't gonna be so much about passing laws and about passing rules and so on. It's going to be about shifting our consciousness. You know, uh, Victor Hugo said in Les Miserables, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And it looks to me like the, uh, the, the uh, because I see all of these new documentaries that are coming out all the time. I see people writing books about this. I see, you know, I've, I've been very involved with Bill Davis, who wrote The Wheat Belly. I'm doing a public mm-hmm. television special with him on, the, on what gluten is doing to our society and so on. And it's like, it's an idea. This isn't just a new fad you know this is uh... this is an idea whose time has come and it's getting more and more intense now what happens is when we we start to have this new shift in consciousness uh... P- people like yourself will be uh, will emerge as leaders who will help to change the rules and change the laws. but the laws are going to have to follow come from a uh, a new consciousness that's out there and that's it seems to me that's what my job is that's what your job is as a writer as an author is to raise the consciousness of the people and to get them uh thinking about with the kinds of things that that we're putting into our body and the way that we are allowing lobbyists to you know, to dictate our policies and the way the government is setting back and just allowing this to take place and so on. All of that will change as people say, you know what? I'm not going to put any more processed sugar into my body. I'm not going to be drinking soda pop uh, every day or, or oranges. I'm going to become conscious of eating real foods. And, uh, and then what will happen with that is that the farmers will come along and say, hey, this is exactly what it is that we want to do. We don't want to have to buy our seeds from some big company or some big conglomerate uh... who's got a patent on them we want to do you know it's like someone once said that the that the uh... initials gmo stand for god move over you know it's like uh, <laughs> now, now now we'll take over now we'll put pesticides in your seeds and you'll buy them from us and so on uh... There's lots of pros and cons on both sides of this, but the fact is that an, it's an idea whose time has come. And I just, I just want to congratulate you. I got this book in my hand. I'm go, we're going to give a copy to everybody who calls in today on the show. I, I know you've got to catch a plane soon, if, that, if, if, that, if that's true. Um, yeah. The real food revolution, healthy eating, green Cho- uh, groceries, and the return of the American farmly fam. A, far, a family farm I love what you did at the beginning of this book when you talked about your chicken wings and you talked about because so you personally have have made a conscious decision uh to uh, to change the way you are eating to change the way you look at the food and isn't that where it came from 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 you deciding your brother was it your brother who looked at you and said you got issues is that the, what it was <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> well,
2: you, you've got an old you've got older brothers don't you Wayne
1: I do, I do. Yeah,
2: you know, only only how an older brother could look. Yeah, and and the point too, and the reason I wanted to start the book out with that, uh, me eating chicken wings and ice cream, is that every now and again I still eat chicken wings, and every now and again I still eat eat ice cream. You me know, too. it's just like we've. I'm, I'm not coming at this like, oh, I'm a I'm a purist, and all you other people, you need to get your mm-hmm. act together because you know I cheat, and I, all I'm saying is. I try to be really good for, you know, most of the week so that I can have these moments where I cheat, you know, and I'm watching Mm. the Cleveland Browns football game. I like to eat some chicken wings. They pulled one out yesterday too, didn't they? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they had a good game. So, you know, I mean, this is like you don't have to be abnormal. It's just we've... the constant process stuff is we've already driven home. And so this, I don't want people to feel like, oh God, here comes some people telling me how to eat. No, it's just, you know, we've got to make some improvements. We have to, there's no choice here. And then I realized that what I buy goes in the refrigerator and my stepkids are around and, my, you know, we have mm-hmm. a new baby and he's, he's going to be eating what we put in the fridge. And mm-hmm. my wife's very good at this stuff. So it's not about purity. It's about you know moving the needle and, you know, right. as, and, and giving everybody access. And we have what I think is most exciting about this, too, as we look into our urban centers, and they're in Milwaukee and Cleveland and Detroit now. Um, there's a lot of urban agriculture that's happening, and it's, it's rebuilding community, too. And we, the goal here is how do you take centers of consumption and convert them over to centers of production and Mm. teach kids how to grow food and produce it and sell it and and make money or we could create summer jobs and economic activity, knock down these dilapidated old homes in some of these bigger industrial cities and plant gardens and put kids to work and teach them how to grow things instead of how to kill things. And and this is all more of a of a spiritual philosophy too that we have an opportunity mm-hmm. i think to really get back to our urban cores where there's food deserts there's miles in some cities playing miles where people don't have access to a grocery store so oh, and, they, and then mm-hmm. and they don't have access to transportation so of course they go to the corner store and get the fruit roll-ups and get the bag of mm-hmm. doritos and and you know and the sugary drink and that's lunch that's dinner and, but when and we shift,
1: we- when we shift the consciousness, Tim, when that, when that shifts, you know that you won't see uh, skittles and all of those things at, at a child's eye level as they're going out through the checkout stand uh, in, in every store and every gas station that they go in, and so on. They're constantly being reinforced with uh, this idea and and seeing uh, uh, seeing commercials on television for the, for food and so on uh, for this for food that isn't good for them. That that the the. The food industry will no longer be able to do that when people stop buying it. When the, when the kids are raised in a consciousness with the vision that you've just described, and it takes a visionary. And I think I believe that you are. On page uh, forty-eight of your book, you have this quote, and uh, and uh, uh, it says, "To get the same amount of vitamin A that our grandparents derived from one orange, today we would need to eat eight oranges." I mean, that is really a major change and shift in, in, in what we are putting into our bodies. Uh, yeah. it just that, that kind of thing just shocks me. Even the Wheaties that we ate when we were kids, the breakfast of champions and so on, are nothing at all like the wheat that's being produced today that's just loaded with gluten and so on. So yeah. you're the visionary, uh, man, and I really appreciate that. I, I loved your book, A Mindful Nation. I couldn't believe that. Someone in Congress, uh, who has the lowest approval rating, they say, of, of any occupation in the country, would actually come out and and, and look at you know teaching meditation and mindfulness and, and growing a nation of mindful people, and now to take on this uh, this whole thing, I'm going to be your biggest supporter on this. I'm going to have this at the back of all of my talks for the next couple of years, the real food revolution, uh, by a man who's a visionary who can see, you know, what it is that has to be done in order for us to uh, recapture our greatness as Americans thanks my friend well,
2: I appreciate it Wayne thanks for all your help and thanks. thanks for inspiring me way back in the day
1: you're very welcome I'll see you I think I'll see you in California if I if, uh, soon at one of the talks that yeah, we're yeah I'll be so. in
2: uh, Pasadena I think it's October 24th I think
1: yeah I'll be there with you my friend God Can't bless wait. you Tim thanks, thanks for everything man, I you. appreciate it all If you would like to hear more of Dr. Dyer's radio show, tune in to hayhouseradio.com. To find out more about Dr. Wayne Dyer or any other Hay House author, please visit HayHouse.com. Thank you for listening.